I don't want to seem like I pick on science. I get upset when science picks on the truth. It bothers me when people think they're so smart. The Bible says a fool is said in his heart there is no God. So don't give me no foolish talk. I'm, I'm serious. Be sure you get your advice from the right source. If that person doesn't believe in God, you better question the stuff that they, the advice they give you. Because your God, you know, the Bible calls him a fool that says there is no God. But we know there is a God, don't we? I want to keep on preaching today and continue on with bold revelation. I'd like to tell you that there's a lot in chapter 3 and with this particular church, letter to this church, I'm not going to cover it to, to this morning, but I will try and cover it more in depth on Wednesday night. And I want you to be able to come and, and be a part of it and celebrate the Word of God with us on Wednesday as we uh, go more into bold revelation. Pastor Mike had to teach for me last Wednesday night, and I'm sure he did an exceptional job. Not because I provide him the outline, I just, uh, I'm sure he did a great job. I know Micah, he doesn't go by outlines that much, a little bit. So I know he probably was, you know, Micah way, you know. He told me, he said, Dad, I really want to be able to teach. I said, I know it. I may not be the best one to show you how. Because somehow when we get in the Word of God, the preacher always seems to want to rise up. And so I end up kind of preaching, teaching. But we've been having a great time on Wednesday night 7. Please come and be with us. And we just could go into the Word of God and worship Him. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to preach this morning on bold awakening. On this bold revelation. Been going through a journey. We're almost finished with the letters to the churches. We're at the, we're at the sixth church now. We're almost finished. And, and this, one is, this one is like a breath of fresh air. This one is like a break of, of all the, the stuff that, that you're doing wrong. Suddenly things are going right. And the Philadelphia church was a church that was doing things right. And I want to accentuate on that a little bit this morning. Sometimes I watch the news and sometimes I have to stop watching the news. Sometimes I watch the news and I think, oh, we're all going to hell in a handbasket whole nation is just in a mess and all this but but you see I if I start talking thinking that away then I forget about my God I forget what God can do and how he can do it if it's up to man we're in big trouble I want you to know that I would say it to the president of the United States if it's up to man to fix the problems of our nation then we're in big trouble only God can fix it only God can heal and if God's people will call out his name and repent of their sins, turn from their wicked ways, then he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal the land. God is, is always the answer. He's the answer, my friend. He, he is. So, so if you try and look at everything, let me tell you the thing going out on the uh, west coast there with all the ships out there and all the cargo and stuff, God's always the answer. It's not man. And whenever man thinks they're going to figure out, they have problems with it. But nothing's too great for our God. And let me tell you, let me tell you this. I'm just going to give you a little clue. Christmas is coming. I mean, it's coming. And we're going to celebrate Christmas. 
It's no matter what, you understand? It's it's not, I mean, somebody needs to watch Dr. Seuss, The Grinch that Stole Christmas, and find out how that thing ended up, and they all understand in Whoville how it all turned out. It came, it came without the, yeah, without the packages and bags and boxes. He said it came, it came just the same. And I'm telling you why, because he came just the same. Jesus is about a person. Not anything else but celebration of a person. So I'm just telling you everything's great. Praise God. God's given us a joy, a joy that the world can't take away. The world can't take it away. Praise God. Praise God. Here we go. I don't know why I went that direction. I just did. Talk about the news. That's what it is. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to talk about Philadelphia, the bold awakening. Revelation chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, let your word come alive in us. As we look in your word, let each and every one of us in this room, God, hear from you, specifically where we're at, what we need to hear. Holy Spirit, we make ourselves available to you, as surely over and over and over again you've said in these letters that he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says, the Holy Spirit says, and speaks. Lord, we want to listen to you today. And I pray, God, for your touch, physical touch of my body, and touch me, Lord, mentally. I'd be able to, to share with great uh, clarity and, and, and freedom. Well, I thank you, Lord, for the freedoms already in the house and the worship. And I sense it, and I thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to begin with the 7th verse, read down to verse 13. And to the angel... Of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. I, I could have just preached on that line there, but I'm not going to this morning. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. <laughs> Who's in charge? Uh -huh. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In these letters, the previous letters in the second and third chapter of Revelation, through our experiences of reading, we've noticed that in it is revealed the good, the bad, and the ugly. More ugly and bad than good, but there's good and the bad and the ugly within these churches. 
We know these churches had their own specific needs, individual needs as congregations, just as surely as Rodney Pike Church of God has its own specific needs as a congregation and a body. We know that these letters pertain to people specifically, individually. When you read the letters written to the churches, according to Jesus, you're the church. You personally are the church. You are the body of Christ that make up the body of Christ. So whenever the church is mentioned, you might as well just pencil in your name because you're the church, because you've been birthed and born in the kingdom of heaven, in God's kingdom. And so, and so all the things are stated, and it's almost, it's, most of it is alarming. You know, words like we find in those two chapters, Jesus saying, you've left your first love. You hold the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. You brought money and merchandising into your worship about things, and you brought the world and the worldly doctrine into your belief. When he talked to Balaam and the Nicolaitans, he said, the thing I hate, he said, you allowed Jezebel to teach and seduce my servants sexual immorality and eat things that are sacrificed to idols that's some serious business we are living in a very perverse time a very perverse time you you cannot see an advertisement for a hamburger unless you see some type of sexual innuation about it or inclination or or thought sexual and sensual even with just a hamburger commercial we have gone to extremes that we want in our educational system to teach uh, children who haven't even reached puberty about sexuality and sexual identity. Do you, do you see how far we have gone where, that, where academia has decided to program the mindset of our children that no matter what color of their skin dictates whether they're privileged or underprivileged? making judgments and calling our children names that they are not and expecting those children of adolescence to decide even who they are and what they are when God has already given a universal, binding, eternal decision that you were born a certain way, thus you are that individual. Isn't it wonderful God's given us that edge in life? The world brings uncertainty, but God brings a certainty at the very beginning. You have a beautiful baby boy. You have a beautiful baby girl. And as they're growing up, they look at pictures of themselves as a baby. And they're, they're a boy, they're dressed in blue, and they look at the, the, all the boyish stuff, and they know that they're a boy, and the girl's the same way. Why should there be a question, a question in the middle of all that? It's because adult world has accepted profane things. Oh, oh, I can just keep going here. I didn't want to be that heavy, but it's the good and the bad and the ugly. And if you think for one second God's not going to judge this world, then you are sadly mistaken. Not only have we stomped upon the very name of Jesus and trampled in his blood, but we have denied God's universal laws and principles, biological laws of who a man and a woman is. We have, we have decided uh, who lives and who dies. 
out of convenience and, and call it a medical science miracle to be able to do such a thing as abortion. God help us. God forgive us. And we're calling, we, we've killed a, a, a population of a nation already. A small nation. We have killed them. But you know what? There are voices being rung up in heaven. There are voices, as the Revelation says, under the altar. Those are going to cry out the voices of the Lord for, for justice of their shed blood. I want you to know that there are voices of beautiful voices crying out for justice being done for that. And it's not for man that's going to bring the justice. It's going to be the one who sits upon the throne, who lives forever and forever, who is the great I am. He is the one that's going to judge the very doers and the very injustice of this. I, I am not political. But I am. Because morality slipped into all political circles. Morality is what I believe is God's principle and law. I'm passionate about it because I'm a man of years. And I've seen lives of all generations and young ones and little ones. And yes, I'm a grandfather. And I look at newborn baby pictures and some of you posted your babies online and the children... Little girls and Girl Scouts and selling cookies and little ones around the table. I look at all these beautiful lives. I say, oh God, this cannot be your will. This is not right. They deserve to live. But I'm so glad of a God that loves humanity so much that women who've fallen under that situation and given in to the pressure, they don't realize they've been victims of a satanic device, a satanic planning and plotting of destroying life. That they can cry out the name of Jesus and the Lord will help and heal and help them in this situation. Amen? And we're not out to point fingers or to judge in a way that we put down the person we put down the sin. And that's what we stand for. And I, all right, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In the beginning, you know, let me back up. He says the sexual immorality and eat the things sacrificed to idols. You know what that's so bad about eating something sacrificed to an idol? is because when you take it in you, you're saying, thank you, idol, for what you've given me. And only God has given us all the good gifts. Washington is not the master of your economy. Jesus is the master of your economy. And he will take care of you. Gas may go up, groceries go up, but then there's a God and a man of God that said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. God will take care of his own. He always has and always will. So don't you be afraid. You just look up because you know your redemption draws nigh. You know when you begin to see these things happen, wars and rumors of wars, 
and, and, and such a men turning away from God. Lift up your eyes and rejoice for your redemption draws nigh. Hallelujah. In the beginning of chapter 3, and then I got to say too, he said this, these words, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. He told that to Sardis. We covered that last week. In the beginning of chapter 3, the last three, uh, last week's message, the letter written to the church of Sardis, is that it was apparent that they had become an apathetic, dying church, having a reputation of being alive, but yet they were dead. Jesus said, I know where you're at. I know who you are. You say that you're alive, but you're not. You say you're a Christian, but I know you're not. You have a reputation of the past, but you're trying to live on the past reputation. I know where you are today. This is what always bothers me with people. They say, well, I got baptized about 30 years ago, lived like the devil ever since, but I'm still baptized. It wouldn't hurt you to go down one more time, okay? And have a three-second wait while you're under. I'm just kidding there, okay? we get really legalistic then, wouldn't we? A time limit. According to your sins, how bad would that be? Oh, we'd be afraid to confess of it all, wouldn't we? Well, preacher, uh, I've been doing this, 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 this. Oh, man, can you hold your breath for five minutes? We don't do it that way. Baptism won't save you anyway. It's the confession of your sins. And you're baptized after you accept Christ as your Savior as a public testimony. What? An outward expression of an inward experience with God. That's why we'll go next door and we'll celebrate baptism. Okay. That's the first time I ever said something like that. Been tempted for years, but never. <laughs> I did tell one person one time, I'm really nervous going in and get baptized. I said, I haven't lost anyone yet. So just hang in there. All right. <laughs> All right, good to laugh. <laughs>